I want to begin with a true or false question today. So here it is, true or false. Americans will spend more money on diets and exercise this year than they will on the support for the wars in Ukraine and Israel combined. What do you think? So let me, let me tell you why I asked the question. If you're like me, you listen to the evening news and the political tension over supporting war efforts overseas, and you scratch your head at the billions being spent. Now, no doubt, the dollars are needed. You cannot place a price tag on what it means to stand for democracy in our rapidly changing world. Nonetheless, the numbers that are thrown out, $45 billion to support the war in the Ukraine, $14.5 billion to support the war effort in Israel, are a little bit staggering until you contrast them with what Americans spend on another battle, namely the Battle of the Bulge. Diets. Any idea on what we spend? I found this number almost incomprehensible. On an annual basis, just listen to this, Americans spend approximately $904 billion on diets, diet products, exercise, and exercise equipment. We spent it last year, we'll spend it again this year, and again next year, which makes me wonder, is it working? Are we getting healthier as a nation? Or are we heading in the opposite direction? And that's our physical health. So let me ask this, what about our spiritual health? This is our first God-sized living podcast for the year 2024. I'm kind of excited to be back together again, and I'm looking forward to spending time with you in 2024. As we jump into the new year, I really want to pick up where we left off just prior to Christmas by turning our attention to the topic of our personal spiritual health. To do so, I want to rejoin our journey in the first chapter of Peter's first epistle, the book of First Peter in our Bibles. At the outset, let me just plan a question for your consideration. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 10 being extremely healthy and 1 being extremely unhealthy, where, where would you plot yourself today, physically? Related, if you could name one thing that you would like to engage, change, this year towards your spiritual health, what would that one thing be. Well, let me just tell you what got me thinking about our topic today. Coming into this New Year's, uh, one of the books that I have had at the top of my reading list is one written by a physician named Peter Atia. The book is titled Outlive, subtitled The Science and Art of Longevity. If you don't know that name, uh, let me just tell you that Peter Atiyah was born and raised in Toronto, Canada. He's the child of Coptic Egyptian immigrant, immigrant uh, parents, graduated from Queen's University at Kingston in 1996. His, his actual degrees were in, were in mechanical engineering and applied mathematics. He then attended Stanford University for the School of Medicine, graduating in 2001 with a doctor in medicine. He received his first medical degree from Stanford University and trained five years at John Hopkins Hospital in general surgery, where he was the recipient of a number of prestigious awards, including resident of the year. He spent two years at the National Institutes of Health as a surgical 
Oncology Fellow at the National Cancer Institute, where his research focused primarily on immune-based therapies for melanoma. Now, what attracts me personally to Atiyah is the fact that as a practitioner of modern medicine, it didn't take him long following his residency to become a bit disenchanted with much of what happens in healthcare, an industry, by the way, that is today more about what insurance will and will not pay than it often is about medicine itself. All of us know that. The result of Atiyah's disenchantment has led him towards developing and practicing what he calls Medicine 3.0. This is the practice of medicine that is aimed at increasing two things. Number one, a person's lifespan, that is the number of years that one lives. And then number two, a person's life width, which would be the quality with which one enjoys life. In particular, what I love about Atiyah is a metaphor that he uses around the concept of the Olympics. He suggests that just as an athlete might train for an event or events at the Olympics, there is a sense in which we can, utilizing the best of medicine 3.0, train for what he calls the centenarian Olympics. The centenarian Olympics. Let me say it this way. What do you need to be doing today that might prepare for both the lifespan and life width into your 100s? It's a challenging question. I'll tell you why. If we look at the population in America today, a mere 0.27% is made up by centenarians. That's not a lot of people. You know why? The average age at which most people reach their expiration date in our country is 76.4 years. So, what do you have to do to train for the Centenarian Olympics? In his book, Atiyah identifies the four great enemies of health. These he calls the four horsemen of the health apocalypse. They are, number one, arthrosclerotic disease comprised of cardiovascular disease and cerebrovascular disease. Number two, cancer. Number three, neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's, which is the most common. And then number four, metabolic diseases, which would include a spectrum of everything from hyperinsulinemia to insulin resistance to even fatty liver disease. Now, this is what I appreciate. Rather than write a how-to book as in, hey, here are four things one has to do to fight the four horsemen, Atiyah, speaking truthfully, suggests that there, there are no absolute easy buttons to battling these diseases. My words. The diseases that precipitate from the fall that occurred in the garden. Instead, what... Atiyah recognizes is the reality of individuality. Each one of us is unique. In our uniqueness, what is required in the battle for physical help is an awareness of what specifically is happening in our bodies. Atiyah recommends a number of biometric and blood tests to this end, noticing that medicine 1.0, because it's more reactive than proactive, does not typically require these. Now, based upon the outcome of Atiyah's proactive test, such as the ApoE blood test, one can become equipped to begin putting together a plan specific to the needs of their unique body. The plan, of course, draws upon research that is designed to address one's predispositions. Bottom line, developing a plan aimed at physical health takes intentional work complete with adjustments as one applies such. 
Now, if this is true, I have a question. What might it take to develop a plan aimed at spiritual health? Here I want to make an observation. I believe that we live in a culture where not only do people desire an easy button towards addressing their physical health, but their spiritual health as well. So listen to this. About 60% of Americans who make New Year's resolutions are aiming to increase their engagement in religious activities in 2024 based upon a CBS slash YouGov poll. Only 37% of Americans typically make New Year resolutions at all. So that means among these, 59% express a desire to pray or attend religious services more. That's the good news, that there's actually more Americans this year, 2024, making spiritual resolutions. But, but this is my question. Are these resolutions more superficial than substantive? In other words, what will their outcome be? Use again a physical analogy. Atia suggests that if health is truly one's aim, generalized goals, goals such as, hey, I need to lose weight, or I think I'm going to exercise more, generally do not achieve their desired outcome. You know why? They're not specific enough, nor are they process-oriented. They're generalized in both content and process. So I don't want you to misunderstand me. I'm thrilled that spiritual goals are on the uptick in America, but... Even as our physical growth plans require individualized work, does not our development of spiritual growth plans? Both work and help is needed. And it's here that a word in Peter's epistle, Peter the Apostle, becomes so helpful. The word is anaganeo. Anaganeo. I'm going to try to explain. So remember with me that in this new year, we're exploring Peter's epistles to the church in Rome, written approximately 64 AD and incredibly relevant for the frame of time that we're living in today. What we've identified over the last few weeks is the fact that these letters are being written to Christians living in one of the most challenging periods in all of history. Nero is Rome's emperor and he is not mentally well. In a state of desperation, following the devastating fires of 64 AD, Nero has placed blame upon the Christian community. Systematic persecution of the church has begun plunging Jesus' followers into a state of despair. In steps Peter. It's his goal through his two epistles, first and second Peter in our Bibles, not only to return hope to the church, but to challenge the church, to embrace its call, no matter how difficult, to bring that same hope, the hope of the gospel, to the very people carrying out their persecution. Now, as I say that, just stop for a moment and place that into context. If you, as a member of a Christian family, have just watched Roman soldiers beat or even kill your father, because of or on account of his faith. I doubt that your New Year's resolutions would be something so superficial as needing to lose 10 pounds or going to the gym four days a week. I I just don't think so. So what might your resolutions be? Being frank, it might be something like this. I resolve to seek revenge 
of the people that have brought pain and devastation to my family, or maybe this. I resolve to do all that I'm able, legally or not, to see Nero removed from his emperorship. There's, there's little doubt, but that your resolve would be rooted in the pain that you're experiencing. In fact, it's almost unimaginable that your resolution might be, quote, to show the love of Jesus to those who killed my father, end quote. I don't think so. Yet, this is exactly what Peter will call the Christian community to. Or, I should more appropriately say, this is what God has called them to. Peter is simply pressing them into this calling. And, to carry out this calling, help will be needed. The kind of help that comes from the Holy Spirit. It's here that Peter uses this term, anaganeo. So, just listen to the word in context. I'm going to pull it apart for us in the original Greek language after we hear it in the English. Peter, remember we're at the beginning of the letter, says, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3, Lord, give us your insight and direction as we read these words. Quote, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Now, now I know that's just one verse, but there's a lot packed into it. Think about what Peter is saying and doing here. First, he's giving thanks for a God who does not distance himself from, but is present in this period of persecution. That's so important for Christians to know. Why? Because the enemy will again and again come to them and ask the question, where is your God? You think God loves you? If he loved you, would he allow this persecution to happen? I'm telling you that our enemy is constantly present during those times when life gets hard, questioning God's presence. Peter is saying he is present. He's not distant. And by the way, in his mercy, he's given you something, actually, I should say someone, that will help you get through all of this, namely the Holy Spirit. So where do we see him in these words? While he, the Holy Spirit, is not specifically by name identified, can you see it? Did you hear it? He is present. Where? In the words, listen carefully, he, God the Father, has caused us to be born again to a, here it is, living hope. There's the Holy Spirit. What do I mean? Well, the Greek here is the word anaganeo. So what is this word? Anaganeo is, of course, a composite word made up of two parts. Ana meaning over, or let's say it this way, over and over and over. And ganeo, which means to be born. Put them together and they form a beautiful word picture. What Peter is saying to the Christians is God knows each one of you uniquely so well that he has placed within you a person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, who over and over and over gives birth to the very hope that you need to survive persecution on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. Here's how that works. On an individual basis, the Holy Spirit knows each one of us so well that as we go through an hour or a day or a week, he's giving birth in that moment to exactly what we need for hope. 
I'm going to use a small example of what I'm talking about, but I think I think most of us can relate. Have you ever have you ever found yourself in a moment where you really just need a word from God? Maybe it's a moment when you are losing hope or you're struggling. And you turn to a verse from scripture or someone shares a verse from scripture and it feels like it is exactly the verse out of all the verses in the Bible that you needed for the moment. And you look back and you and you wonder how, how did he know? How did God seem to know? the exact verse that I needed in that moment? Well, the answer is because he knows you. He knows exactly what you need in each moment of your life. And the good news is this, that he lives inside of you. He watches you. He knows your thoughts, your anxieties, your fears, your hopes, your dreams. He knows you, and he's constantly giving birth to exactly what you need to have life in him, to live out the calling that he has given to you. Which brings me back to our topic today. We stand, you and I, at the beginning of a new year. Not only so, but we stand where we stand by his placement. He's placed us and called us for this very time in which we live today. So the question, as you think about how you want to grow spiritually in this new year, what resolve is he giving birth to, that spirit inside you? I think I want to pose the question that way. What what are your spiritual resolutions? What is the spirit stirring up inside of you? Because I do believe if you take time to listen to him, the spirit, he'll give birth to the answer to this question. He knows even better than I do where I need to grow in a specific, not generic or superficial way. So let me do this. Let's close out our time together in this episode by thinking together about some specific ways that we might, listening to the spirit, identify our spiritual growth needs for the new year. I want to walk through several thoughts here, all of which revolve around one word, and the word is inventory. I really believe this, that one of the best things we can do at the beginning of a new year is to take an inventory of where you would place yourself, scale of 1 to 10, in several different areas. As you take the inventory, listen to the Spirit, and take some notes. First, ask yourself, how am I growing right now in the word? How am I growing in the word? Am I satisfied with my word growth? Is this a place the spirit is prompting me to grow? Maybe he's prompting me towards committing part of the Bible to memory. Maybe he's prompting me to spend a specific amount of time in the word. Maybe he's prompting me to become part of a man or a woman's study group. Maybe he's prompting us to spend more word time with our spouse or our kids. But ask yourself that question. How are you doing in your growth in the word? Second question, ask yourself, who is discipling me? If you don't have someone that you've invited to walk with you in your growth, this might be the year to do so. Think about this. Every great athlete you meet will tell you that they are where they are today because someone invested in them, got to know them, challenged them. I can tell you that over my years in ministry, I'm so thankful for those who have invested in me. And this might be the year that you ask someone to join you in your walk. Is the need one that the Spirit is giving birth to in you? Who is discipling you? Number three, ask yourself, where do I need to be equipped to serve? Again, I'm going to use an example. I think most of us know that one of God's callings on our lives is that of sharing our faith with other people. We acknowledge that. Yet most Christians that I know are not exactly sure about how to go about doing that. 
You know why? They've never been equipped. This might be the year to engage in a master class in what it means to share your faith. Or maybe you want to be equipped to lead your kids, teens, in their faith development. At our church, um, we actually do an equipping class each, each year. Every time we teach the class, we ask the participants this question. What did you grow up with? What happened around your family table? And, and one of the interesting things is on a year-to-year basis, so many people will say, I really didn't grow up with much. We would go to church from time to time, but I never really learned what it meant to follow Jesus. So what's your desire for your family? I don't want to give you an easy button answer, but I do know this, that parents, parents want a plan that will work for their family. So I'm just asking you, to ask yourself this question, where do you need to be equipped to grow? Finally, ask yourself the start-stop question. What is one habit that you desire to start this year? And what is one habit that you want to stop? This past year, two books that rose to the top of my most helpful list were James Clear's book, Atomic Habits, and Pastor Craig Rochelle's book, the power to change. If you haven't read either of them, add at least one of them to your list. Both identify the power of habits in our life. They also identify the fact that there are good habits and bad ones. What bad habits are keeping you from who God is calling you to be? What one habit would move your needle in the direction of becoming who God has made you to be? After you identify it, I'll encourage you to pick up Craig Rochelle's workbook, It's called The Power to Change and Go to Work. Because here's what I believe. The God who births new hope in us in an ongoing way also births within us the power to change. If I've communicated nothing else today, I want you to know that I really do love a new year. New Year's embodied what it means to be born anew each day in Jesus. My prayer for you is that 2024 will be a year of growth for you. I'm going to pray that. It starts, I believe, with an honest inventory and then a commitment to, in the strength of the Spirit, follow through. Well, that's all for this edition of God-Sized Living. I'm praying for you and your family as we begin this new year together. I'll ask you to pray for me. Until next time, have a God-Sized week.